All right, welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I am excited to bring you an interview with my guest, Sean Inman. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you, I watch often, I'm glad to be here. It's fun to be on this side of the screen. Yeah, this is cool. Um, we were able to catch up a little bit at a recent uh, recent book launch, and that was fun. So if anyone wanted to go see Sean's previous uh, bonus episode, it's uh, farther down. Uh, feel free to look for that. Brian waves hi. Hi, Brian. Thanks for watching. Um, and... Um, if, it, if you are watching live or if you're watching the replay, feel free to say hello and leave us a comment. Let us know where you're watching from. We'd be happy to uh, respond to your questions and comments, uh, whether, whether it's live or later on. So, um, Sean, for those of you people who haven't maybe caught your previous interviews or don't know anything about you, um, would you tell them a little bit about the, the series that you're um, currently releasing? Sure. The, the series right now is called the Middle Falls Time Travel Series, um, and uh, it's got, I just released the sixth book in that series, uh, and uh, surprisingly to myself, I'm about to, I'm writing the seventh book in the series. Okay. <laughs> I say that's a surprise because I had announced that the sixth book, I was going to take a hiatus from writing that particular series, yeah. uh, and then I sat down like we do, and I was plotting out a brand new arc for a brand new series. And as I was making my notes, all these other ideas for another book in the Middle Falls series kept hitting me in the brain. So I'd grab my notebook and I'd scribble something about that. And then I'd go back to what yeah. I, I'm going to have discipline. And after yeah. about two days of fighting that, I realized I just need to go write that book. So now I'm, I'm writing one more Middle Falls book for now before we take a break. So Yeah, um, famous last words, the, right? We'll yeah. <laughs> we have. I, I, I admit, I, I am not in charge here. I have no control over what I write. It's <laughs> what my brain just decides I'm going to write. So, uh, and the Middle Fall series overall, it's about um, it's about redemption. Really, that's the primary theme. Um, each book centers on a different character, so they're all standalone books. You can mm. jump in at book four or two or whatever you want, and you'll get a complete story. There's no cliffhangers. It's kind of similar to, to what you have done. Um, and each time it, it follows somebody who makes a, a typically a, a horrible error mm. early in their life. Like in book one, uh, Thomas Weaver accidentally kills his brother in a car crash. Um, in the second book, a guy not so accidentally becomes a murderer, <laughs> mm. okay. uh, and that's the, that's the horrible event in his life. And then, and then um, typically when they die, they are recycled back to an earlier point in their life at a point where they can still begin to make changes that led them to that horrible point mm. uh, and so each one is a story of redemption but the the key question i think in the series is if if you think you know what's coming can you change what's going to happen and the mm. answer typically is no not really uh right, some yeah. things are kind of immutable and difficult to change but yeah. and so some often the change has to occur inside the character mm. not in the events themselves so. yeah yeah Change yourself, not reality, or yes, something like that. That's interesting. I, I don't know if it's too big of a spoiler for for people who haven't read your books, but um, are you able to reveal any of the the mechanism behind it? Is there a reason why this particular event keeps happening to people in this area? Yeah, um, I don't know if that's too much of a spoiler. I, I kinda, I kind of trapped myself, as as we do sometimes. <laughs> You'll write something in one book and realize, oh, now I'm stuck with that for this entire mm. series. Uh, in the first book, I indicated uh, the the character goes on to lead a, just a, a horrible, dissolute life. 
um, and ends up killing himself when he's 53 years old and then wakes up back in his 15-year-old body. And I had thought mm. I was writing a standalone novel when I wrote that. I was not planning on writing a series until I realized there's so many unanswered questions there. Uh, and so I ended up thinking, well, I guess I better go put some reasons in for why this is happening. Uh, and that's why I think I call mine uh, metaphysical time travel series, because okay. there isn't a mechanism like a, a machine or uh, a, a blip in the dimensions or a, you know, a, a time gate or anything like right. that. Um, it all happens through these uh, these creatures or people uh, that are beyond the veil of death uh, okay. who are watching over and controlling. In the book, they're called the Watchers. Um, and in book two and three, we get a lot more into what the Watchers are and why they exist and, and mm. why they do what they do. And then I thought I'd kind of resolved all that plot line. And so in books four, five, and six now, I haven't even mentioned the Watchers. I wanted everybody to have an idea of what yeah. was going on behind the curtain, but I didn't think it was it needed to have a continued plot line. So I kind of wrapped that up in book three. So in a way, the first three books are kind of like one arc. They're all standalones, mm -hmm. but there's mm -hmm. themes that run through it. And then books four, five, and six are more just kind of uh, separate stories that stand on their own more. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, we had a couple comments. Matthew says, I'm on the life and death of Dominic. Um, actually, Dara, Dara is also on the same the same book. So you've already got some, some readers nice. tuning in to say hello. So um, there. Nice. They're here and watching. So. That means they made it to book three, so that's a good sign usually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> could you give us a little bit about this most recent release? Um, we've yeah. got your, your cover up there if you wanted to talk about your sixth book in the series, Changing Lives. Yeah, uh, The Changing Lives of Joe Hart. So uh, the thing I run into is a fear of repeating myself. Mm -hmm. That is the last thing I want to do, where book five is essentially just a recycled book two. And right. so I really tried to switch things up with book six. In the first five books, uh, everybody has been focused on an inner issue, something mm -hmm. that's gone wrong with their life. Well, that's true in book six, too, but he decides to take a different path. He decides to see what would happen if I change events outside of my own life? Can I find meaning by changing things that, quote-unquote, went wrong mm -hmm. uh, in the world in my first life? So two of the events that he decides to try to change are, I live out on the Washington coast, um, and I'm about uh, probably a 90-minute drive or so from Mount St. Helens. Oh, wow. uh, and I was I was very near to Mount St. Helens the day it blew in 1980, oh, wow. um, and it killed 55 people when it erupted. Mm -hmm. So... I used my kind of familiarity with being that near to an eruption blast to make it so that the character in the book has two friends who have gone camping near Mount St. Helens and die in the eruption. And so he elects to set out to try to change the future by saving them from that mm. eruption, which, of course, because it's a book, is, is not as easy as it seems like right, it would be. Yeah. Um, and then he, he kind of morphs into me for a second and he decides he wants to go and uh, stop the murder of John Lennon on December 8th, 1980. Mm. Um, and then... Uh, you know, things get complicated from there because things are never as easy as you hope they'll be when you set out. So. Yeah, and definitely not when there's an author controlling things. Because yes, the, the puppet master. <laughs> <laughs> it's always problems and problems. There's no story without difficulty, exactly. right? 
and I guess the point I wanted to make in the in the sixth book is that one of the problems that this character faces, Joe Hart, is that his his father dies on the day he's born. Again, mm. those those darn authors that cause problems for our characters, mm-hmm. and that causes his mother to sink into alcoholism, mm. uh, and she dies on his eighteenth birthday, uh, or I'm sorry, on on the day he graduates from high school, and so. Mm. Uh, that causes him all kinds of problems. He's all messed up because of it, of course. And um, But that takes place in 1978 in the book, um, and they didn't have the term codependency yet. But mm. my thinking was he's codependent on his mother because of all of the background that he's got. So one of the signs of codependency is trying to control what other people think or do or react to you. And I thought he's trying to do the same thing to the world. He's trying to control the world. But his problem is he has to learn how to just control himself. Uh, And so that is kind of the underlying theme of the book is uh, how he needs to learn to deal with his own inner demons and uh, and come Mm -hmm. to peace with the world. Um, And that's maybe why he's having so much trouble making things work. Uh, with uh, with the saving people from Mount St. Helens or saving John Lennon from being murdered, yeah. that sort of thing. So. It's, it sounds like your books um, really highlight heroes who are um, somewhat tortured in their own lives and kind of definitely Absolutely. have a lot of internal demons to battle. It sounds Absolutely. like that's a common theme. And that's that's true uh, of all the books except for book four. And I had a, a heck of a time with book four, which is called uh, The Final Life of Nathaniel Moon. Um, and I, I almost made a too perfect hero there. Um, mm. I don't know if you've read Dune, but in Dune mm. there's a character named Alia of the Knife who gains consciousness while she's in her mother's womb. Uh, mm. So she's born basically a baby knowing what a full-grown adult knows. And I read that in the 70s, and it really stuck with me. And I thought, someday I'm going to write a book like that. Mm. So I made the mistake of doing that in book four, (laughs) and then realized now I've got this basically messianic little boy who has all the knowledge of the world, and he's the hero of my book. Mm. Uh, And that was a real challenge for me to write, because once you know all the secrets of the universe, basically, and you have the powers of a messiah... How do you give that guy problems? Yeah, uh, and that was a that was a real challenge. It's I like learned a lot writing having that. Having too powerful of a hero can be anticlimactic. That's, that's it's a, a problem. The, the super, and I learned my lesson problem. on that. I will never do that again. So. Yeah, <laughs> I struggle with that myself. I have one character in my book, um, Mim, who is a, a time traveler, but she's so good at everything she does. Like I can't have her in the story most of the time because she would just solve all <laughs> the problems. Solve the problem, right? And I'm like, well, yeah. that's kind of yeah. It's, sometimes you shoot yourself in the foot like that as an author. But, so in in all the other books, all the characters can stick around and make appearances in other books. But mm. in that book, I made a point that I was removing Nathaniel Moon from the universe. He's never going to make another appearance. He won't. Mm. He won't be back in any of the other six books that are out there because he was uh, he was too powerful. So interesting. Um, Matthew says, "I love how all the books so far tie into the same town. Is this something that continues?" Absolutely. That's why it's called the Middle Falls series. Mm-hmm. 
I'm a, a tremendously huge fan. I would say I'm his biggest fan, but I think that was taken by Annie Wilkes uh, of Stephen King. Mm. Uh, and I loved what he did with Castle Rock uh, back in the 80s. And I'll, I'll admit it, I, I took that same idea of what if I just created a town where all kinds of strange events happen. Yeah. And for me, that's Middle Falls. So when I go on and write the next series, it's also going to be set in Middle Falls. It just won't be time travel necessarily. It's oh, going to deal with, with other supernatural elements that happen there. And part of it is good just because as a, as a writer, I, I know my setting so well by then. Mm. I've already written six books in that setting. I know where the roads are, and I know mm-hmm. where the malt shop is, and I, I yeah. know where you know everything is. I know the names of the restaurants, and uh, I know what the school is like. And so um, I, I love creating a town that everybody can – that way when somebody comes into my fifth book – and uh, that's about a, a woman. And by the way, that's a little bit of a challenge, being a middle-aged man trying to write from the perspective of an 18-year-old woman in 1958. Mm. Um, yeah. I like to set challenges for myself, I guess, as a writer. <laughs> But I, I already knew what that school was like because I've already written about that school that she has to attend in two or three previous books. So mm. um, I love the idea of, of just creating kind of one rich tapestry and setting a whole bunch of books in it. So yeah. I love Little Falls. It sounds like your readers do, too. We've got a few comments here. and uh, Linda comments. She says, I found Nathaniel's story so refreshing. So she really liked that one, I guess. She's on book six. Oh, okay. She's on book six currently. So that's okay. good well, and, and I don't ever mind to admit when I'm paying homage to somebody. And one of my one of my favorite books of all time is a book called Illusions by mm-hmm. Richard Bach. I love that book. Um, and it's the, the the tale of a reluctant messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kind of combine that idea of Alia of the knife from Dune and the messiah from the reluctant messiah and put mm-hmm. those two together and say, what would happen if somebody was born knowing anything because to me the problem is so you're a four-year-old boy you have the secrets of the universe you can heal people with a touch Mm. but when you do that what realistically is going to happen i think people are going to lose their nut you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) everybody's going to be lined up outside your door the next day wanting to be healed uh you'd have to Mm -hmm. look out for the government coming along in a black helicopter and a black suv to whisk you away to dissect you and figure out what's going on with you um and so that was the problem that i ended up giving nathaniel moon was how do i use what i have uh and still have some kind of a life Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's a very valid point. I love that that story as well. Um, oh, illusions, illusions. Yeah, I have fantasies about the flying part because they they fly around the country in a tiger moth yes, and their biplanes and just you know bombing into people's barnyards and what a light. And, and oh gosh, it was the glory glory days of aviation and sleeping under the wing and eating a can yeah, of beans that you cooked in the fire. I mean, camping out just... with your plane while flying around the country landing landing in farmers' fields was was <laughs> that's a for fa- me. that's a fantasy, right? Yeah, there. I didn't even need the the Messiah bits. I was they were already living the dream <laughs> as far as I was concerned. But um, great stories. Um, so you talked a little bit about your inspirations. One of the things I wanted to touch on just real briefly, if we could, was you mentioned recently in the 20 Books of 50K group that you started out writing romance. This was like I, your your first um, foray into yeah. fiction was you were writing romance because it was obviously what was selling for you. Um, I'm curious yeah. how you made the leap from from into romance, first of all, and then also from romance to time travel. Well, I, I like most of us, I'd wanted to be a writer all my life. I mm. think that's true of 
but um, I got married fairly young and had a family and had kids and had a job and uh, for, and at the time when I was young was in the 80s as a young adult there was nothing but traditional publishing and mm-hmm. traditional publishing was a pretty uh, high wall to throw your manuscript over mm-hmm. uh, so I basically didn't write at all mm-hmm. uh, and then in in 2006 something very unusual happened to me which was I, I went into a, a, a business one day and ran into a girl who had been a woman now who had been my first love uh and we hadn't seen each other in 30 years and i didn't know how to handle it i i saw her again and uh, and instantly all the old feelings and thoughts and emotions Mm -hmm. all just poured back into me that i'd tried to keep tamped down all those years Mm -hmm. uh i was totally lost in how to handle all that so i i sent an email to my older sister and said can i write down what i'm thinking about this this what's happening and send it to you in an email Hmm. and she said sure and so I did, and those emails stretched out to be about 120,000 words. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. That's at funny some enough. point, at some point, we re- I realized I'm, I'm writing a book here, whether I'm, I'm, I'm sending emails, but I'm really writing a book. Hmm. And then in, uh, in late 2008, my sister said, I, I want you to make a promise to me. Well, she was my oldest sister, and she had done so much for me over the years that I didn't even ask. I didn't hesitate. I said, whatever it is, you got it. And she said, I want you to publish that story you wrote. Hmm. And I said, oh, gosh, I, I, I can't do that. I just, I'm not ready for that. I, I'm not a writer. I, I'm just a guy that I wanted to get my feelings down. Uh, and then she died uh, less than a month later. Oh. And so gosh. what had been just kind of a lighthearted promise felt like it had become kind of a life's oath. Hmm. Uh, and so in 2009, I set out to begin to refine it and, and get it ready to publish. And in doing so, I got back in contact with that woman who ha- I hadn't talked to again in three years since hmm. then. So we'd seen each other once and then not again for three years. Um, and a year later, we were married. Uh, oh, wow. And I I knew then okay now that's a book you know yeah. you've got you've got your meet meet cute at the beginning and you've yeah. got you know all the drama in the middle and then you've got your happy ending at the end that's a romance book uh, so I wrote that book and it was called Feels Like the First Time and it was when self publishing was pretty new mm-hmm. um, but I, I released it in 2012. And the weirdest thing happened. It just started to sell and sell and sell, and it sold like 30,000 copies. Um, and that convinced me, hey, maybe I want to be a writer. I, it, this is easy. You write a book <laughs> and everybody buys it. You know, and It took me a while. But yeah. that kind of uh, pigeonholed me then as a romance writer because mm. that's what that book was. So yeah. I put out uh, two more romance novels, and they sold really well. Um, and I, I, I didn't enjoy writing them. I don't read romance and mm-hmm. so the you know i think i'm like the only semi best-selling romance writer that's never read a romance book mm-hmm. um yeah. and and that's when i i heard on a podcast i heard the phrase write for the audience you want not for the audience you've got hmm. so it was really scary to kind of abandon that beautiful faithful wonderful a platform that I had mm-hmm. built uh, and just take it off in a completely different direction. But I knew I'm not going to be happy writing romance. Um, I think if you're being inauthentic, that's eventually going to show through in your writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led me to write The Unusual Second Life of Thomas Weaver, which uh, initially I released that 
almost exactly two years ago, two years and three days ago, I uh, released that book, um, and it it was kind of crickets <laughs> when yeah, I first sure, released yeah, it. Brand new uh, because audience. here's this romance guy, and he's writing this kind of dark story with a serial killer in it and a time traveler and watchers, and what the heck is going on with this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it just it took a few months, but I was I, I think the first time I noticed it was in November of that year it just started to sell people somehow found it organically and started buying it mm. um and it sold and now it sells i don't know 10 times better than it did on launch every month now uh two years after it was published so uh and now a lot of my platform that I, I, if I look at my reviews, especially for Thomas Weaver, uh, the common review is, well, I don't normally read this kind of book, but I decided to follow Sean along to, to, to read it, and yeah. now I'll read all the rest of the Middle Falls books, and that's the best feeling, of course, when uh, somebody's willing. But as a strategy, I don't really recommend the, the genre hopping like mm. like I did. I got lucky um, and just basically being unwilling to give up on it. And, you know, now I've published five of those books in the last 10 months, and um, that's helped me a lot, just showing people that I'm pretty committed to that genre. And the truth is, I love time travel. It's probably my favorite genre. It's what I love to read. Um, And I think, again, that comes through. I have joy when I'm writing these books, and I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure that comes through. So. I'm sure it does, and it sounds. Like, I know that from our previous conversations, you you obviously put a lot of personal depth into these stories. They come from a place of personal experience, and you you invest a lot of yourself emotionally in there, which I would oh, yes. I would imagine then that connects through from your romance audience because obviously that was based yeah. on personal narrative as well. So, so yeah, it's fiction. I had a, a a brief. So my. Uh, my book, all of the Middle Falls books, all seven now of the Middle Falls books are being produced by Podium Publishing. Mm. And I was uh, having a little email chat with uh, the narrator on the fifth book last night who told me she had to essentially stop recording several times because she was a puddle of tears uh, oh, wow. at some of the scenes in the fifth book. And I thought, that's it. That's, that's what I, I hate to say it, but I have about half a dozen yeah. readers who say, okay. You got me again. I'm crying, <laughs> you know, and I think good. That's that's. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big fan of This Is Us, which uh, the show on NBC, mm-hmm. which makes my wife and I cry every week. And people say, "Why do you want to be that miserable?" It's like I'm happy. I'm cry- these are sad tears, but I'm enjoying crying them. So, <laughs> and I, I try to do a little bit of that in every book. One, one of my favorite lines from Doctor Who is, "Sad is happy for deep people." And if you've ever seen that in the episode Blink, there was a famous uh, quote. Good. Wow, quote I love that. that. I have not heard that, but I yeah, I, I adapt that now. Um, yeah. So do you, part of this show, I'm obviously we have kind of multiple demographics that we talk to here. A lot of readers, of course, who just love to to find new good books and, and uh, consume them, but also have uh, quite a few writers who watch. Um, do you have any tips? For writers, when it comes to making sure that these emotional, this emotional depth comes through in your stories, is there a particular strategy you use, or any tips there? Uh, well, I'm I, I have been a pantser up to this point in in my life, and I'm actually mm. because the story for the seventh book all dropped into my head at once. I'm actually plotting this one out because it's all there. Why not write it down so yeah. I don't forget it? Yeah. Um, 
for me, the emotional resonance just comes because I, I so feel like I am that character. So mm. when the ho- I cry as I'm writing the horrible thing happening to my protagonist, if I don't mm. want to do it. It's just it's what's needed for a good story. But I can't mm-hmm. help but look at it through Thomas Weaver's eyes. Or uh, in the second book is a it was the toughest book for me to write. It took me a year to write. Mm. Now I've written five of them in ten months. So you yeah. can see. You know, that was uh, out of character for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But that character, uh, Michael Hollister, was actually the villain in the first book. He killed my favorite character in the whole series in the Mm. first book. And I hated him. Oh, I Mm. hated that. Every time I did something horrible to him, I would just smile and snicker at the keyboard. (laughs) And then I I, I finally got you, didn't I, dude? Uh, And then as I finished that book, and I've completely wrapped up his story, and I'm walking my dogs at night, and I hear this, this, almost like it's being whispered in my ear, this title, The Redemption of Michael Hollister. Mm. And I think, no way. I just killed that dude. I am so happy he's gone. And just like this seventh book, that book wouldn't leave me alone. Uh, and I had to write it. And in that book, it tells, it shows you how he became that murderer in the first book. And it shows the events in his life that led up to him acting out like that. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes that he has a new opportunity to change his life. And the entire rest of the book is, uh, is just about that. Um, hmm. How can he find, how can someone so bad find redemption, basically? Um, and, uh, and my problem was, I thought, well, the, the real problem is, I, I'll find redemption for him and it won't be real. It'll mm. feel false. And I won't do that. And that's why it took me a year to write that book until I finally found the real redemption. And yes, again, I had tears streaming down my face as I wrote uh, those critical scenes at the end where he found his his own form of redemption. Mm. Um, and I, I try to have a question about every protagonist or an idea about every protagonist that I'm trying to answer. Um, and my friend Terry Schott, uh, who writes the Game is Life series, I was chatting with him. I said, I just can't find his core and he said oh I, I know what it is he just wants to be a real boy like Pinocchio hmm. and I thought there it is that's exactly right he, Michael Hollister wants to be a real human being and he doesn't know how to go about it so he needs somebody to help him down that path and hmm. that was the second book so uh, so for me that was a real journey because I started the first I don't know, 15,000 words or so of the book are really dark um, because I was still hating him at the time and I didn't want anything good to happen to him and I wanted him to be a jerk. And then things just went completely out of my control and he turned out to be a decent human being and in fact a really good human being. And now I think probably the majority of my readers say, oh yeah, he's my favorite character. The guy who murdered the girl in the first book is their favorite character. So um, I think he, he might be mine too. So yeah. I, it, the power of redemption to me is yeah. is is the whole arc that I I just I can't get away from it. It's my drug as a writer. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes for fascinating reading. Obviously, for your readers are, are clearly responding well to it, and um, me just listening to it. I mean, I I love to to see the depth behind a villain, and I think that there's such an art to that, um, to finding yes. the person and their motivation and. Uh, just understanding them as people and uh, without just making excuses for them you yeah know? and I think the only way to do that is to fully inhabit that character and that's mm-hmm. what I had to do and I had to 
uh, I had to take that Michael Hollister and wear him like a, a skin in Silence mm. of the Lambs, I mm-hmm. guess, which was so repulsive to me until yeah. I finally did it. And then I thought, oh, now I see. Now I see why he was that way. Now mm. I can write his his redemption. So yeah. So you you ask me how to accomplish that? I think that's it. It's just it's all about perspective from us as a as a writer. Um, and I often tell people they'll say, "What are your books about?" I go, "Oh, well, basically my books are like Seinfeld. They're about nothing. Um, if you're looking for slam bang action." Mm-hmm. My books are probably not for you. Mine are more about the emotional journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the big uh, the highlight uh, of uh, that book of Michael Hollister is probably when he tears up a stamp that belongs to his father. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very valuable stamp, and it's his way of declaring. You know, but how much drama is there in you know, yeah. tearing up a little bitty <laughs> stamp that happens to be worth a hundred thousand right. um, dollars? And and so, um, but that's that's what appeals to me. And so, I think the readers that ultimately find me that want to stay with me, that's what they're attracted to too. Mm. So. Yeah, Except the seventh sense. book in the series. In the okay. seventh book, this guy is just going to be a badass vigilante, because uh, that's what I—that's what his story was that occurred to me. He's going to go. He's going to use the fact that he's a time traveler that goes back to try to stop dozens of, uh, or, or m- multiple dozens of murders and rapes and crimes that have occurred that he knows about, and he's going to be there to crack down on that stuff before the crime even happens. Um, and so for yeah. me, the, the key for that book will be finding the heart of that guy. What caused him to be that way? Why is he so angry? Why does he picture he, he's basically batman in a time travel book mm. uh and so what is it that's his his story what redemption is he seeking through that that so. sounds that sounds like a lot of fun too and that's gonna be a fun sure. book to write yeah, yeah. can you finally cut loose and have some action scenes so. there you go yeah <laughs> um can you give people you mentioned that you're gonna you have an idea for a whole other series um set in middle falls that's not time travel can you just yes. give us a little bit more details about what to expect there sure I don't know for sure what the title of the series will be yet because I'm just, like I say, plotting it out. But I, 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 at the moment, I'm calling it the Agents of Karma series. Mm. Uh, so in the time travel books, we know there are these uh, celestial beings called Watchers who, for their own reasons, are watching over life on planet Earth and can have a huge impact on the events down here if they choose to. Uh, and in the next series, it's going to focus on uh, another type of those kind of beings that are work for the karma delivery service um and i'm really looking forward to writing that because how many times you know you're you've seen somebody do that and you just think karma's gonna get you buddy karma is getting karma is you know it's tough it's gonna get you and i thought so wouldn't it be fun to have a whole book where you just see or a whole series of books actually i'm planning a trilogy where what you see is people get what they got coming Hmm. Uh, and and that's that's fun and that's uh, I I think uh, in Save the Cat Blake Snyder called it the promise of the premise and that's the promise of the premise to me is watching people get what they got coming but I also want to add a little more depth to it and write about how karma is not always what we think it is it's it's not always well that guy went ripping past me on the freeway and now look he got stopped and got a ticket you know mm-hmm. that's the the most basic easy idea of karma 
Um, but there's a lot more to the idea that I want to explore in kind of an arc over these those next three books. Yeah. But I, I think it's going to be where the feeling of um, the Middle Falls time travel is pretty serious. There's not a lot of jocularity and not a lot of yucks in mm. those books. Um, and the, the agents of karma, I just see that as being a little more hilarious, a little more okay. lighthearted. Um, yeah. cause that's a fun idea. Cause if you had to, if, so if I said to you, you're going to go on after this life and you're going to get a job in the universe somewhere and you can be one of those people that sits and watches everybody, um, or you can be in the, the universal mailing room, you know, kind of filing and sorting things out, or you can be the guy that is dispatched to earth to deliver karma to people. And I thought, oh, everybody wants to do that, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a lot of fun. And of course, you know, knowing your penchant for redemption, I'm sure there's different types of karma and ways that this is going to go differently than people probably yes. expect. So I think that yes, that sounds like a lot of fun. Like all of us, I, I do my best to confound reader expectations. I try to set them up. Oh, we're going to go down this path, and then say, Oh, sorry, yeah. I'm going to take a little U-turn here. And I, yeah. that's the, that's the fun to me. And it's the same thing in the time travel books. If my time travelers went back and thought, oh, I know what's going to happen, and they just set out and fixed everything, mm -hmm. there's that's no story. Right. There's no story there. You've got to yeah. have that, that conflict and disaster, and you've got to have the long, dark night of the soul and yeah. all those things. Um, so yeah. that's, what, that's, that's the fun part to me. The emotion is the fun part to me. It sounds like you're doing it incredibly well, all of, all of the elements that you've discussed so far. It sounds like you're really... You're really having a blast with it, which is... That is true. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So um, where is the best place for people to find uh, your books and find more information about you and maybe follow along with your new book? Sure. Um, to, to just chat with me or keep up with me, it's my Facebook page. Um, I'm really active on my Facebook page. I post on there every day. Um, I tell horrible jokes. I usually post at least one of those a day. The most yeah. common comment on them is, why is there no eye roll emoji? Uh, <laughs> or, ting is the other uh, popular response to my jokes. Yeah. And I talk about the writing and the books, and I do my cover reveals there, and all the typical stuff. But mostly I, I feel like, I think I, there's like 3,100 people or so that like that Facebook page, and they're mm -hmm. like my big extended family. Mm -hmm. um, and we talk about things that are important. I talk about my grandkids and my wife and I and how she's always smarter than me, um, and uh, my dogs and my cats and my turtle and all that stuff. So it, it really is like a personal page as a writer page. And if you to find that, you just uh, in the search bar, just write in Sean Inman Writer, uh, okay. and it will take you to that page. Um, and all my books books at the moment, with the exception of one, are only on Amazon. I'm, right. I'm in uh, the dreaded uh, Kindle Select, uh, which means nice. that all my books can be read for free if you have a Kindle Unlimited uh, subscription. All of the Middle Falls books are in there. Uh, my two, my three romances are, are in there if somebody... Uh, and I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. I, I went back the other day and reread a portion of that very first book I wrote six years ago, which took me five years to write because yeah. that's the way it is when you write your first book. Yeah. And I was, I was honestly, I was just appalled. I, all all I happens. could see was, 
I thought, you know, it's got 851 reviews on Amazon, and it's got 4.4 stars, and I think, I don't understand how, because all I can see as a writer is the missed opportunities, and like, oh, I could have said that so much better. Um, So, do you feel that when you go back and look at your early books, or have you gone back and rewritten them? No, I've... I think every writer goes through that, Sean. I think it's like a common denominator that the yeah. the more distance we have from a piece of work, the, the more we see its flaws when we come back. But uh, I know personally, I've gone back and done a little bit of revising. Um, the benefit of being indie is you can do that. You can go trim things yep. or spruce yep. things up a little bit. But I try not to touch them too much and just because I, I do like the fact that if someone finds your first book, in the series, and if it does have some rough spots, but they like it anyway, their journey ahead is just up, up, up. They're just gonna all they're gonna do is find even better work by you. Every every book you write is gonna be better than the last one. So. I know you're friends with Ernie Dempsey too, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm good friends with Ernie. Uh, when I was talking to him the other day, I said, "So where do you want me to start with your books?" And he said, "Well, start with book one." If you can make it through that, the rest of them will be clear sailing for you. <laughs> I thought, yes, I can totally relate to that. I think so, that's all of us, especially those books and, that we Even in my over. time travel series, because I thought that was going to be a standalone book, I didn't mm-hmm. think of it as the importance of having, oh, these first 20 pages, that's the first 20 pages anybody's going to read of a seven-book arc. Mm-hmm. i got to make those slam, bang, and just filled yeah. with... Con- and it's not because I thought I was either. writing a, a standalone yeah. book. So yeah. my opening scene is two brothers that are kind of ripping on each other in 1976, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know it's that's not exactly the draw in you want as your your magnet when somebody first opens your book. And yeah. then they go to a party, and his brother gets drunk, mm-hmm. and he has to drive him home. And that's when he kills his brother, which all happens yeah. in the, the first 10% of the book. So that's not yeah. a terrible spoiler. But I thought I really should have tried to get to that car crash a little quicker, mm. I think. So, but, but once you have the audio book out, you're kind of locked in. So now yeah. that's out by podium. And so now I just think, well, it is what it is now. It so. is, yeah. And I think we just have to let those, let those things go and let people enjoy them. Because obviously if it's got 4.4 stars, people are having a good time with that story. And they... They're going along for the ride, and they, they obviously have enjoyed now six books, so you're doing something right. So far. Yeah. But, and I'm interested in your take on this. Every time I get ready to release a new book, I think, all right, well, it's been a good run, but this is the one that undoes everything for me. This is where it all falls apart. Nobody's going to like this. You know, I go all Eeyore about two days before I actually yeah. push the button to publish and think nobody's going to like this book. That, that's where the beta, beta readers are great for propping up your, yes. your self-confidence right before you push the publish button. Yeah, I, I And I do have know. an advanced reader uh, group that I absolutely love. And um, they'll tell me when I get off track on things, you know, and they'll say, oh, I, I didn't like that part as well. And I, oh, good. Because to me, uh, as you say, we've got a lot of writers. Um, oh, Neil Gaiman, I think, said it. He said beta readers are great for identifying problems mm-hmm. and terrible at coming up with solutions to those problems. (laughs) So all I need is for them to say, you kind of lost me in this section. I didn't care about, okay, great. I'll go in and figure out how to tighten that up and how to do all that. I don't need to know how to fix it, but I do need to know that I lost you there. So I agree. Beta readers are invaluable. 100%. I agree. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and out of your busy writing schedule to come say hello to us. I really appreciate it. 
Uh, it's been a blast. I, I tune in all the time. So, like I say, it's nice to be uh, having the questions asked. All right. Well, thank you. And um, anyone who is catching the replay, if you weren't able to catch catch us live, uh, feel free to pre- please leave comments and um, questions. And, and Sean, like I said, he is an active member of the group, and I'm sure he'll be able to pop on and, and answer your questions as well. Yep. So, so uh, yeah, thank you, Sean, for being here. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I uh, hope everyone has a great day.